figure exceeded the expectations of some television executives who believed that Mr. Trump's absence would lead to far fewer viewers. The first Republican debate on Wednesday night drew an audience of 12.8 million viewers, according to Nielsen, indicating robust interest despite the absence of former President Donald J. Trump, the front-runner in the race. The viewership figure, which includes totals from both Fox News, 11.1 million viewers, and the Fox Business Network, 1.7 million, was significantly higher than anything else on television on Wednesday night, and outperformed the broadcast network totals combined. It was also the most-watched cable telecast of the year outside of sports, surpassing an episode of Paramount's Yellowstone, which had 8.2 million viewers, according to Nielsen. The audience total, however, is a far cry from the record 24 million viewers who tuned into Fox News for the opening Republican debate in the 2016 election cycle, which featured Mr. Trump on a debate stage for the first time. Nor did it reach the 18.1 million who watched one of the early Democratic debates in June 2019. But the figure still exceeded expectations of some television executives, who had believed that the numbers could be low given Mr. Trump's absence as well as cable television's reduced presence in American homes compared with just a few years ago. Mr. Trump, leading by a wide margin in the polls and engaged in a running feud with Fox, skipped the debate. Instead, he appeared for an interview with Tucker Carlson, the former primetime star, who was ousted by Fox News this year, on X, the platform formerly known as Twitter. The interview was posted shortly before the debate began on Wednesday evening. Mr. Trump declared his ex-interview at Blockbuster on Thursday morning. It is not clear, however, how many people watched the interview. Anytime users on X scroll past a post with the video in their feed, it counts as a view, one of the few metrics the social network makes public, whether they watched the video or not. Nielsen's television ratings more rigorously track the number of people who watched a program. The Fox News debate featured eight candidates, who often sparred aggressively with one another. They were Ron DeSantis, Mike Pence, Vivek Ramaswamy, Nikki Haley, Chris Christie, Tim Scott, Asa Hutchinson, and Doug Bergen. The Fox News debate moderators, Brett Bayer and Martha McCallum, spent about 10 minutes of questions on Mr. Trump and his four criminal indictments, with Mr. Bayer saying he had to acknowledge the elephant not in the room. The next Republican debate will be on September 27 on Fox Business. Thailand's weed industry is poised to grow fast. The country's legal marijuana business, a rarity in Asia, is struggling with oversupply, illegal imports and regulatory ambiguity. Investors are piling in any way. In Bangkok these days, it's hard not to notice the weed dispensaries catering to tourists that have multiplied since the government decriminalized the drug last year. Many of them take advantage of lax regulations to openly sell visitors dried marijuana flowers that have been imported illegally from Canada or the United States. On a recent afternoon, one shop advertised its pungent offerings, weed strains with names like ice cream cake and lemon cookies, as California's finest. 
but such dispensaries may be soon be out of business because of competition, oversupply and expected new regulations around the drug's cultivation and sale, several cannabis industry experts said in interviews. The survivors will sell high-quality, domestically grown weed, which helps explain why investors have been plowing millions of dollars into high-tech indoor cannabis farms across Thailand. Although no one knows what kind of regulations the nation's newly elected leadership will usher in, cannabis industry experts said the rules will most likely give investors more clarity and raise the bar to market entry in a way that benefits businesses with the best domestic supply chains. Smart money's going to come in, Cyrus Itpraninai, a co-chief executive of the marijuana farming company Medicana, said recently at an indoor cannabis farm in outer Bangkok. He was wearing a white lab coat and standing near grow rooms packed with LED lights, advanced watering systems and row after row of young marijuana plants. Many Thai cannabis growers, including us, are happy to comply, provided their healthy regulations, added Mr. Cyrusit, whose $2 million farm produces 55 to 66 pounds a month of dried marijuana flowers, the part that causes a high. Some of that is sold at a sister company's downtown dispensary, Dr. Dope. As jurisdictions across the United States and in other countries steadily liberalize their laws around marijuana, the novelty of legal wee is wearing off for residents. But Thailand's industry is thriving in a region where long prison terms, or worse, for marijuana possession, consumption or trafficking are still the norm. Thailand once had such harsh laws, too. But when the government removed marijuana flowers from its prohibited narcotics list in June 2022, a domestic industry appeared overnight, starting with weed trucks in tourist districts. Less than a year later, there were about 12,000 registered dispensaries, by some estimates, more than in the United States. An obvious draw for investors is that Thailand's cannabis industry pairs nicely with a prime source of customers, tourists, of whom there were nearly 40 million annually before the pandemic, and who are now starting to return. Growers say that tourists, not locals, are their primary target market. But because the Thai legislature has not yet passed a law to clarify legal grey areas, the industry exists in a state of regulatory limbo. All sales are still technically for medical purposes, even if cannabis is widely used in practice as a party drug, and illegal imports have become so common that some shops openly advertise them. Oversupply and illegal imports have sent retail cannabis prices tumbling by about a third in recent months, to the equivalent of about $22 per gram, and some dispensaries have folded during the summer low season for tourism, said Luxifer Syratha Warnzetti, the managing director at Vinzen, a cannabis trading and marketing company based in Bangkok. There is uncertainty, too, over what Thailand's cannabis regulations will look like. Sritha Thavisin, the new prime minister whom the Thai parliament elected on Tuesday, told reporters ahead of a May general election that his political party, Phu Thai, did not want full cannabis legalization and would support use only for medical purposes. Foreign and Thai investors are piling into the market anyway. Precise investment data is scarce, but Ms. Luxifer said some companies have already built expensive indoor farms across Thailand with investment from the United States, Europe, Australia, Russia, and Singapore, among other places. 
several cannabis entrepreneurs said in interviews that they expected prices to stabilize once there is regulatory clarity, and that the Thai government would not dare destroy an industry with significant economic potential. People now see clearly that you're not going to put Pandora back in the box, said James Porter, the chief executive at Siam Green, a dispensary that has raised around $1 million from investors in Bangladesh, India, Thailand and the United States. This trade is not surprising because the Dallas Cowboys are a really well-run organization. And I know because Jerry's has the funny quotes and because they are in a 28-year drought of not making the conference championship game and we look at it, oh, they wanted to draft Johnny Manziel and Jerry gets in the draft. Look at this team over the last half decade. Basic, look at this team since they gave Zeke that contract extension. What's their worst move? What have they done poorly? And taking a player who was a consensus first round pick who ended up going number three and getting him for what will end up being about the 120th pick of the draft with two years of control to be able to have him in your building to see what he can become is good business and the dallas cowboys the playoff failures notwithstanding they do good business listen i am not a big cowboys fan i am not there are a lot of folks out there that are well known either cowboys uh i don't even want to say a hater but cowboy detractor or cowboys super fan i'm none of the above but i can call it as i see it and look at the cowboys roster Go to their spot rack page if you really want to get nerdy about it. Show me the bad contract. Look at their draft history over the last five years. Show me the team that conclusively has done better than them. Show me the move they've made that you're like, well, that's idiot. There isn't one. And trading for Trey Lance because of what it allows you to do in a potential Dak Prescott negotiation. More on that in a moment. Because of what you are buying low at the absolute nadir for a player that at one point everyone agreed was a first round pick most people thought was going to go somewhere in the top 15 it wasn't as if the Niners were the only team that liked this player coming out of North Dakota State that's good football business now it's good business it does seem to have left your franchise quarterback a bit nonplussed. Okay, so Dak didn't need a heads up because Trey Lance is not competing with Dak Prescott. Certainly not this year, maybe not ever. But here is why I would imagine that, because you could see in the very beginning when he was like, ah, you know, not surprised by anything. Now, maybe it's because he liked Will Greer so much. But maybe it's also because Dak, who is a savvy guy, a smart guy, and has played the NFL business world about as well, maybe better than he's played the actual on-field world, here is why I think the Trey Lance move does impact Dak Prescott. And again, I apologize for this early in the morning out west or early afternoon out east to get into contract stuff. But Dak is in a... The Cowboys are in an odd spot with Dak with two years left on his deal. And the reason is because Dak's agent smartly got the Cowboys to include in his contract, the last one, a no tag provision, which means Dak Prescott one year from now is going to be in as strong of a position as any quarterback, honestly, 
in modern NFL history from a negotiating standpoint. Dak Prescott, one year from now, is going to be able to tell the Cowboys, this is the exact contract I want. What will undoubtedly be the biggest contract in NFL history. And if you don't give it to me, I will play out the following year and then be an untaggable, free and clear free agent at 31 years old. And people say what they want about Dak Prescott. There are not 10 quarterbacks alive better than him. And quarterbacks at that age simply do not hit free agency. And when they do, a poor man's version of Dak Prescott, Kirk Cousins did once upon a time, has gotten three consecutive fully guaranteed deals. One in free agency, two via extension. You know why? Because the Vikings can't tag him and because he's had all the leverage. So what this Trey Lance move does, if you're the Dallas Cowboys, you see how he plays, you see how he looks in practice, you see if you create a little package for him by mid-season or later to add more of a quarterback running game wrinkle. Kyle Shanahan, a brilliant play designer. The Niners have done a wonderful job in later rounds of the draft finding talent. The Niners have as stacked of a roster as any team in the league. All of that's true. This is also true. For six consecutive years, the 49ers have botched the handling of the most important position in sports. It has arguably already cost them a Super Bowl or two, and it might cost them another one or two potential ones down the road. Here's what we know. No team in the common draft era has gotten less out of a top five pick than the Niners got out of Trey Lance. That's not an opinion. That's a fact. As far as snaps played, games played, no top five pick last 50 years of the NFL draft has provided less for the team that drafted him than Trey Lance with the Niners. We know that. We also know the San Francisco 49ers have been haphazard at best when it comes to what they want, what they need from a quarterback. The, they are now trying to sell us the idea that, well, we just want someone who won't crash the car. We just need a caretaker. We can, t we can use a guy in Brock Purdy who we loved so much. We had three separate sixth round picks in his draft passed on him all three times. A guy we loved so much that not only was he not in contention to start last year, but after locking Jimmy Garoppolo out of the building, we sheepishly brought Jimmy Garoppolo back in the building because we didn't even trust Brock Purdy to be our backup quarterback, a player we love so much that we didn't have any reason to believe he could play until we had no choice but to play him. And now we are going to pretend as if he didn't just have massive surgery on his throwing arm when physical limitations were already the reason he was going to be an undrafted player for all other teams in the league. And for us, we took him the last pick. But set the Brock Purdy stuff aside. Here has been since Lance, I'm sorry, since Shanahan and Lynch have taken over in San Francisco. Here is what has been their path on the quarterback situation. They are sitting in 2017 with the number two pick of the draft. 
They do not scout Patrick Mahomes, they barely scout Deshaun Watson, and why was that? Because everyone assumed, I think correctly, that they had their eyes on Kirk Cousins who was going to be a free agent a year later. They end up trading back one spot, drafting Solomon Thomas, who of course is no longer on the San Francisco 49ers. They then later in that first round draft Reuben Foster, and we are off and running. They then get ang anxious and antsy, can't wait for Kirk Cousins, trade for Jimmy Garoppolo, see five games of Jimmy Garoppolo and say, you know what? Forget the money we were going to spend on Cousins, we'll make you the highest paid player in the league. They then immediately fall out of love with Jimmy Garoppolo, but not far enough out of love to get involved in the Tom Brady sweepstakes in 2020. They then, in 2021, decide, you know what? We are fully done with Jimmy Garoppolo. We are going to trade all these draft picks, move up to number three to draft. We don't know. You remember the reporting there? Who are they taking it through? We know Trevor's going one. We know uh, Zach's going two. Is it Mac Jones? Is it Justin Fields? Is it Trey Lance? They couldn't have traded up without knowing who they were taking. But all the reporting was, that is exactly what happens. They then take the rawest player ever to be taken in the top five of the NFL draft. A guy who had played one year of Division II college football because they believed in the upside. His rookie season, he got two starts, played well in one, played poorly in another. That was enough for them at the end of that year after another trip to the NFC Championship game to say he's our starter moving forward. They then that offseason reportedly had another opportunity to pursue Tom Brady. Nope, we don't want to. We are invested in Trey Lance. Saw him all offseason. He's our starter. Saw him all preseason. He's our starter. He then played one game in a monsoon and half a quarter in the next game and broke his leg. And before he could practice again, they were shopping. He was on the trade market in February. Where is... Where is the consistent, logical approach to the quarterback position? You don't need a great player at quarterback, then what are you doing trading three ones for Trey Lance? You do need a great player at quarterback, then what are you doing forget Brock Purdy? Here are the top five biggest things to happen in tech this past week. From AI helping a quadriplegic man move again, to, well, smart glasses that can help you with your dating life, but also to eating that technical interview. Let's get into it. Oh, before we do, hit that subscribe, give this video a like, and leave any video suggestions in the comment. Okay, now let's get into it. Now this first story gets pretty wild quickly, which is AI knows what you are typing. There have been studies that were recently conducted to see how AI was able to detect or pick up what keystrokes are being typed when you are in a Zoom call or if someone is in earshot from you. In this paper, it states that with Zoom audio to go on, an AI can decode keystroke sounds with a startling 93% accuracy and it's able to pick up exactly what you are typing. Now, I'm sure the inevitable is going to occur with this potential risk and danger. Yes, there's pros to it, but also too, let's face it, there's a lot of cons, especially when it comes to cybersecurity. One example they share in this article is really how this could be used. For example, you are in an airport typing in your password and there is a hacker sitting close to you with a microphone 
captures that audio from your keystrokes, the rest is history. And this might sound so far-fetched, like we are in this cyber movie and this isn't going to happen, but it's already happening today. This is where we are at and cybersecurity implications are going to be huge with this. And they actually tested this out. The researchers pressed 36 keys on the MacBook Pro a total of 25 times each, recording the keystrokes on two different mediums, a nearby iPhone microphone and Zoom audio. And the accuracies of picking up these keystrokes were between 95 and 93%. Now this next story, it hits close to home as a developer, which is Stack Overflow has seen a massive decline in users since different apps such as ChatGPT, Bard, you get the point, have been released. And not only are they competing against these AI models, but some of them were actually trained on Stack Overflow data. And of course, Elon Musk had to make his way into this news by calling it Death by LLM. Now, Stack Overflow's CEO is responding to this in two main ways. One being the phenomenal community resource. He is saying that the reason why Stack Overflow in many ways became so popular, you don't have to spend a large amount of hours into the night trying to figure things out. You have this amazing community resource. Stack Overflow is responding by saying that it wants to be paid for its training data. I mean, they're giving away all this data and losing out on it, so it makes sense why they want to get paid. He also shared out a tweet, which I think is really interesting and gets you thinking. This is what it said. He also recently tweeted this out, and it really gets your mind going. When Stack Overflow is fully dead due to AI, where will AI labs get their training data from? And this is a great point. It's one of those things where the snake is eating its own tail. They are getting this data from Stack Overflow, but they are killing Stack Overflow as they are doing that. Where are they going to get the data once this is done? Does that even matter to them? Oh, the irony in this next story. This one was... It's too good. It's too good. As someone who works from home remote and is a huge remote fan, I had to include this one. Zoom wants its employees to return back to office. Very ironic considering they make their money on individuals working remotely. Now, here's what they had to say about it. We believe that a structured hybrid approach, meaning employees that live near office, need to be on site at least two days a week to interact with their teams. Now, although this is very ironic considering what their technology is all about, they are one of the last big companies, or well, there's still a few hanging in there, but most big companies nowadays are going back to this hybrid approach, which by the way, is terrifying as someone who likes to work from home. This next story, I shared in short form on social media, but I had to include it in this week. It's mind-blowing. We talk a lot about AI on here, and sometimes it gets more into the negatives of AI and what that is. And I always try and keep it positive. And this story here with AI is one of those really positive use cases of how it can change the world and people's lives. This story here, AI helps quadriplegic man move and feel again. So what surgeons were able to do is implant a chip into this individual's brain. And let me let me read for you exactly what they did. Surgeons implanted microchips into Thomas's, the quadriplegic brain, in the regions that control movement and touch sensation in the hand. The chip interfaces with AI algorithms that relink his brain to his body and spinal cord. Through this, they are able to interpret Thomas's thoughts and translate them into actions. Now this is wild and such a great use case of how we can help people with this technology with AI. And now you can see Thomas is able to move his arm when he starts thinking about it and signaling it from his brain. This was impossible before he had this surgery. It was very successful and it's getting a lot of media attention, rightfully so. Now, one of the lead researchers on this project, here's what they had to say. This is a game changer. Our goal is to one day give people with paralysis the ability to live fuller, independent lives. You can think of maybe you have a friend, family member, acquaintance who has been impacted with something like this, being able to 
have more independent, be function more independently through this technology, I think it's really just at the cusp of what is possible. Now this next one is for anyone who's in the dating scene or needs a little help maybe with dating. Stanford students created some glasses, smart glasses that can display the output of OpenAI's GPT-4. This is something that I kind of wish I had during my technical interviews, especially when we get into really specific algorithms being able to see the solution on my glasses and they can't tell that I have the solution, where do I order a pair? The device is called Riz GPT and this is how it works. It listens to your conversations and it tells you exactly what to say next. So you can see on screen, when you are having a conversation, text will be generated in real time for you. So here, let me share with you this tweet uh, of an example of what is possible with these glasses. Uh, now this is able to work this way because OpenAI's speech recognition software, Whisper, allows the glasses to feed speech directly to the chatbot, which can generate answers in a matter of seconds, really. Now there still is, when I was watching videos, a little bit of pause, even one or two seconds in a conversation can feel like a lot, but we are definitely on our way to making these an everyday product, which have the potential to really impact a lot of areas from your dating life, your job interview. That's why I keep on coming back to the job interview would be the biggest thing. How you do negotiations, having all that information right in front of you in real time. The possibilities are really endless. What do you think though? Do you think something like this product, these glasses should be allowed for the public to access or is it giving us too much information at our fingertips that will impact really if we put in the effort into learning or using our own lives. All right, those are the top five biggest things to happen in tech this past week. Tech is moving so quickly, so I try and keep these updates for you to stay informed in a fun and engaging way that you don't have to spend all your time reading in depth about all these articles.